Welcome to the Seed Time Money Podcast. We are your hosts, Bob and Linda Lodick. This is a hope-filled podcast that'll help you save, earn, give, grow, and actually enjoy your money. We don't hold anything back. We share everything that we've learned on our journey. Everything from being 100% broke to paying off our house by age 31, to finding work with purpose, to giving more than we ever dreamed possible, all while having a blast on this adventure that God has led us on. And if you want to achieve true financial freedom and design a life of eternal impact, this is the show for you. We are so excited to let you know that our brand new book, Simple Money, Rich Life, is finally out. Yes, and if you enjoy the podcast, we think you're gonna love it. And if you like hearing our friendly voices, then you should grab the audio book on Audible. And if you don't, then just grab the paperback, grab the Kindle. (laughs) And if you do grab a copy, we want to hear from you. So send us a message on Instagram or send us an email and let us know what you think. Yeah. And again, the name is Simple Money Rich Life, and you can grab your copy anywhere books are sold. Anywhere. Pretty much any place that sells books, they (laughs) should have it. Hey, everybody. I have Jordan Rayner here, and he's a serial entrepreneur, best-selling author, and wrote this book that I'm excited to read to my kids that I just pulled out of the box yesterday. And it's a really cool book because as most parents know, you are reading all these books to your kids and they're given to you as gifts and you end up having whatever, 50, 100 books stacked up. And to be honest, most of them are containing mediocre content that isn't necessarily something that I want to teach my kids, but it's just like there and it's like, eh, it's not really harming them. So when you get a book that actually teaches them a lesson that you're excited about, like this is really, really good. So this book, The Creator and You, Jordan just finished and I'm excited to chat with him a little bit about this today. So Jordan, thank you for taking a few minutes and chatting today, brother. It's always good to hang out with you, Bob. Thanks for having me. Yeah. All right. So tell us a little bit about your family, where you live, you know, just you, your situation. Just give us some backstory here. Yeah. So I live in beautiful Tampa, Florida with my bride, Kara, and our three very young daughters, Ellison, who's seven, Kate, who's five, and Emery, who we adopted two years ago. And man, I could totally resonate with what you were saying about children's books. There's so many. It's such a clutter market. Most of them are mediocre and they're all cute, but they're not really inspiring and teaching our kids really big ideas. And for me, that's kind of the genesis for this book, The Creator and You, I had probably read my kids a dozen books on Genesis one on the creation account. And they all followed the exact same pattern, right? God created this on day one. He created that on day two, day three, four, five, six, the end. And these books drive me bonkers because the sixth day wasn't the end of creation. It was the beginning. It's when God passed the baton to us and said, go fill and subdue the earth. And so I wrote The Creator and You to help my kids, your kids, the kids of our listeners understand this at an early age. It's essentially a three-act play that you will read in three minutes, right? Act one is what you see in every other Genesis 1 book, right? It's God creating in those first six days. But then about a third of the way through the book, it says this. It says, and now you might think that our story is ending because every other book tells you it's ending. But in fact, this is just the beginning because God made you to look like him, to act and work and create with him. And then act three is just watching kids respond to that and fill the earth with art and businesses and commerce and tree forts and spaceships and culture. As my kids have like really dug into the book and like really enjoyed it, which has been like so fun for me to watch. Yeah, I bet. I'm watching them view everything from art projects around the house 
to their homework, to their chores, with just a different level of purpose and joy because they now understand that those things are ordained by the God of the universe. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. First book I discovered you on was called to create. This is the kid's version of called to create for yeah, sure. Yeah. And I remember reading that book and yeah, it was just such a great book. And it's clear that this is part of your life's message to get out, which I think is such an important one because yeah, you made this statement here that I was reading. Uh, let me pull it up real quick. Oh, this right here. Okay. That work existed before sin. And like, that's such an interesting thing I've never thought of before. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like, what are your thoughts on that? I think one of the biggest misconceptions uh, in the church today, we believe that work is the curse. And that's not true. It's not what we see in Genesis 1. First of all, the very first thing, the very first line in scripture is God coming onto the scene as a creator and a worker right? Work could not yeah. possibly have a more exalted inauguration. The God of the universe works. No other religion makes this claim. Every other religion says that the gods created human beings to do the menial labor in the world and serve the gods. Only Christianity starts with the God who himself works. It's radical, right? Yeah. But yeah. he doesn't finish creation all by himself. He could have created the stars and a telescope in six days, but instead mm -hmm. he passed the baton of creation to his kids and before there was the great commission in the world, there was the first commission, the call to create, to go take yeah. the Garden of Eden and create the Garden City, the eternal kingdom of God. And it's only at Genesis 3, when sin enters the world, that work is now under the curse. It is difficult. There are thorns and thistles that make our work difficult. I think we all experience this every day. Yeah. Yeah. But work itself is not the curse. And the, the way we really know this is because when we get a picture, an accurate picture of heaven, there's even work in heaven on the new earth. Isaiah 65 says God's chosen people will long enjoy the work of their hands. We were created not for luxury, not for leisure, not for consumption, but for creation and reigning yeah. and ruling over this world and being productive, right? It's a radical message. So I spent a lot of years in a job doing work that I didn't feel gifted for, didn't feel gifted at, and just struggled. Like it was just hard because I, yeah, I just didn't feel gifted for the task and therefore I wasn't good. Even though I worked really hard, I've always been a hard worker. But anyway, like, and I remember like the difficulty of that. And then contrast that with once I kind of got into some work, doing work that I felt uniquely gifted for, that God had kind of created me for. And part of that being a creative, like part of the work being a creative process. I mean, even like this, as we're doing a podcast and the creation of this, like it's been so fulfilling. It's been so helpful. But my question, I guess, kind of pulling this together is, for you, hey, have you gone through that? Have you had yeah. those seasons like that where the process of doing work was a lot less enjoyable? Yeah. And then how do you speak to someone who is dealing with that? Yeah, it's such a good question. So number one, yeah, I have had those seasons. I have had those jobs that were just J-O-Bs. I hated them. Yeah. Yeah. I wish I had a good theology of work back then. So I could have looked on those jobs, even the bad ones with Thanksgiving. Uh, yeah. I unfortunately didn't. But here's what I would say. The Apostle Paul says in Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, that the very purpose of our salvation is to do the quote unquote good works that God prepared in advance for us to do. So yeah. it's this wild idea that before you were born, God established 
a specific kind of work for you to do in the world. And the reality is because of sin, a lot of us aren't doing that work, right? So if you're in that space, you're like, this is clearly not what God created me to do. I think there's a couple of things you could do. Number one, I think you could recognize that while it's hard, you have employment, hopefully, and praise the Lord for that. And do that work heartily as unto the Lord, knowing that there's a reward for you for doing that job well. See Colossians 3, right? But number two, it may mean that you're called to do something else. So while you're serving your current employer through the ministry of excellence, play some little bets like you, I'm sure, did, Bob, outside of the day job to start planting seeds. We're on the Seed Time Podcast. Start planting seeds and then look around and see which seeds are starting to show signs of fruit, starting to show signs of of this miracle of divine multiplication that Jesus is giving at in the parable of the sower, the seeds that are producing fruit that you cannot explain through your own feeble inputs. And then as long as it's economically viable, pour all of your time and money and energy into that thing. Put all yeah. of your eggs in that basket. Yeah. That's been my great. story in a lot of ways. Yeah, that's good. So I wanted to kind of jump around here with a few different directions and questions. But one thing I was thinking about, Lynn and I were on a plane the other day, and I, I don't know why. I always like to compare modern 21st century life to the rest of the history of the world and, and how humans have lived in all the centuries before. And I was having this thought as we we're flying on an airplane and looking down at how everything is like in perfect squares and, you know, from whatever, 40,000 feet, 20,000 feet, whatever it is. And I said the thought, it's like prior to the last hundred years or so, like no one ever had this view. Like no one was ever able to see this, which reminded me of something else kind of getting to the question is, you know, so they're building these deep sea like machines to go down there and take pictures and stuff. And they still can't make it all the way to the bottom of the ocean. And yet there's creatures down there that God created and that no one has been able to see. I mean, literally some of them just until the last couple of years, because they finally got something a little bit lower and they were able to have a picture of this crazy fish or something down there. So I'm curious, like, how does that speak to you, knowing that God created all these things, knowing that the vast majority of humanity would never see it? Yeah. I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? I love this. So to me, it means a couple of things. Number one, we worship the infinitely creative God. I I was at a butterfly exhibit with my kids the other day, and we were trying to guess as to how many different species of butterflies there are in the world. We were guessing like 500, 1,000. 17,500 species of butterflies. That's, that is needless, purposeless, excessive, extravagant beauty. The God of the Bible doesn't just create for function and order. He creates with extravagant beauty and creativity. And thus we can too, without having to give an objective justification for everything that we're doing. Here's the second thing that I make of it though. We can never learn all there is to learn about God. I I think there's some people who believe that the moment we go to heaven, we're going to suddenly know everything. Well, if we know everything, then we're God. That's not the case. And for me, it fuels my hope for heaven and for eternity when God brings heaven to earth, knowing that for all eternity, we are going to get to explore the depths of the oceans, the heights of the heavens and exploring how God created this world. I just had this astrophysicist from NASA on my podcast talking about how we can't even begin to scratch the surface of how many galaxies and planets there are in the world. But she was imagining like, hey, why won't we be able to do this 
on the new earth. We know that there are new heavens. We know that there's going to be work to do. Maybe we're going to be spending eternity literally blasting into outer space to marvel at the creativity and the glory of God. That fires me up way more than this American character of heaven being us sitting around all day playing harps and singing hymns. Yeah, no, I love that. That's really, really cool. You mentioned something else I thought was interesting too, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. You said this thing about Adam and Eve gardening, and then Jesus being mistaken for a gardener, and that there's a connection here. Let's chat about that. Can you explain? Oh man, I'd love to. So this book, The Creator and You, is really all about that first scene in Genesis 1 and 2, God putting Adam and Eve to work in the garden, because God didn't want to create on his own. He stopped his work of creation after six days and told us to go fill and subdue the earth. And there's this little detail in John's account of Jesus's resurrection on Easter. It's found in John chapter 20. It's fascinating. It says that when Mary Magdalene turned around and looked at Jesus, she mistook him for a gardener. And we always like breeze past this seemingly insignificant detail. Yeah. But I was talking to one of the world's top New Testament scholars, this brilliant guy named Dr. N.T. Wright. He's like, Jordan, this is not a mistake. He's like, this is very intentional. What's what's happening here? Think about this. God is inaugurating a new world, the second creation, the final creation. And Jesus is being mistaken as a gardener because John is pointing us back to the Garden of Eden, where God inaugurated the first creation, didn't create alone, called Adam to garden it. And just like the first Adam had his bride Eve to help him cultivate and garden the first creation, Jesus, the gardener, has his bride, the church, to help him cultivate the final one. Jesus never said that heaven is going to come in one fell swoop. He said it's going to come slowly like a mustard seed growing into a tree, like yeast folding into dough. Mm -hmm. The kingdom of heaven comes at least in part through you and me working in the power of the spirit to yank pieces of heaven on earth right now in the present. And it's this beautiful symbol of Jesus appearing as the gardener that I think is there to remind us of that mission. Yeah, that's so good. I love that. So obviously you wrote this book out of the same frustration as me of Good Night Moon. It's like, okay, yeah, great. It's a book, but like, it's just a book. Why not put something of value, you know, what we're trying to teach our kids in it. But anyway, so obviously you did that for your kids, but what are you doing besides that, beyond that, to help kind of nurture these things and teach them and help them grow in this area? Yeah. So beyond the book, just one real practical thing that I'm trying to be really intentional about in order to cultivate a sense of God-ordained joy and purpose about work early in my kids. I talk about the good things of work and not just the hard things every night at dinner. So we play two truths and one lie every night at the dinner table. Great way to get your kids to talk about their day, right? So they go first and then I go. And sometimes I'll talk about something that was difficult at work. Oh man, daddy really couldn't outline this chapter of a book. But most times I'll say something good. I'll say, hey, I got to talk to my friend, Bob and all of his listeners on this podcast, right? And then when they guess what it is, they always ask me about all the other things. I'll be like, guys, man, what a blessing. God has given me gifts that I can go serve Bob and his audience and help people understand how their faith connects with their work. Isn't God so cool? Isn't that awesome they do that? And you listening right now, maybe you're you know a CPA or you're a marketer or whatever, but telling your kids, hey, mommy 
helped a customer solve a problem today. Something as basic yeah. as, as that. Or daddy gave a killer sales presentation and it just felt really, really good. Yeah. Little things that plant in our kids' minds that work is good. We don't walk around just saying, thank God it's Friday. We also talk yeah. about the good stuff that God is doing in and through our work. I love that. That's such a good idea. So anyway, well, I appreciate you coming on chatting and yeah, everybody run out and grab this book. It's called the creator and you, uh, I am excited to read it to my kids tonight. We're actually going to go through it for the first time. And I read through it because I'm an adult and I can read through it pretty quick. And it's just a great book. It's a great message. I'm glad you wrote it, Jordan. Thanks again for coming on and chatting about all this. I'm assuming people can find this at Amazon. It's in stock now. Yes, it's in stock. Right. It was out of stock for two weeks. We sold out week one, but it should be there when you're listening to this. So go uh, go pick up a copy on Amazon or wherever you buy your books. But let's yeah. face it, that means Amazon, right? We're on the same page here. Yeah. <laughs> Great. Tends to be where most of us go. But, <laughs> but anyway, yeah, you guys can find Jordan. Are you at Jordan Rayner? On yeah, Instagram? at Jordan Rayner and then just jordanrayner.com. J-O-R-D-A-N-R-A-Y-N-O-R.com. Awesome. All right, man. Well, thanks for coming on. Thanks for sharing. We'll do it again soon. Thank you, Bob. Take care. Thanks for joining us on the Seed Time Money Podcast. And remember, money isn't the goal, but it's simply a tool to help you fulfill your purpose and your calling. And we'd love to help you achieve true financial freedom faster with our email newsletter. So if you want exclusive money tips and hope-filled encouragement in your inbox, head over to seedtime.com to get signed up.